Hi, my name is Amy Reinecke, and I'm here to help you learn to love your body well. Love Your Body Well is a podcast designed to encourage women to find the beauty in caring for their bodies without obsession, guilt, and shame. We are ditching the perfection mindset and embracing the season of life you are in, all while figuring out what works best for you on your wellness journey. Join me for weekly episodes as we navigate this journey together, and let's start a revolution of women who are focused on wellness while also being compassionate and kind to their bodies. Are you ready to live your body well? You likely clicked on this episode today because body image is in the title. And I think that this is something that many of us struggle with internally. Sometimes we find people that we can open up to and talk to about it. But I don't know a single woman who hasn't had a body image, quote unquote, issue in her life. And so this is kind of a universal feeling of sadness, guilt, shame, a lot of things. And I think that there are a lot of different reasons that we end up having these body image issues that we do. But Usually there's a time and a place in a woman's life that they they want more. They want to feel better. They're tired of the fight. They're tired of the war. Hopefully when you hit play on this podcast, that's what you're getting. And today is no exception. So on this episode, I brought in Heather Creekmore. And I did so very, very intentionally. We were connected through Stephanie Reinold, who's been on the show before as well. And Heather writes and speaks hope to thousands of women each week with her books, her coaching, and her own podcast that is titled Compared to Who. Heather's heart is to encourage women who struggle with body image and comparison issues and help them find the freedom to stop comparing and start living. Heather's been featured on many shows and podcasts, but she's best recognized from her appearance as a contestant on the Netflix hit show Nailed It. Heather and her fighter pilot turned pastor husband, Eric, have four teenagers and live in Austin, Texas. And I did not know you were on that show. (laughs) Season one, episode one, I'm in the pilot. (laughs) Are you really? Yes. And actually, if you get an error message on Netflix, it is my cake and my hand that is stained red from fondant. That is the error message on Netflix. (laughs) That's my claim to fame. (laughs) That is hilarious. So you're a baker too. A failed baker. <laughs> yes. I mean, they totally, they set you up for failure on that show, but it was, it was good fun. It was a real blessing to do it because I'd always wanted to be on a cooking show. And that was the show for me because I suck at it. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> that is so fun. What a fun experience. It really Just, was. That's so fun. Well, Heather, welcome to the Love Your Body Well podcast. We've had the opportunity to connect. I was actually a guest on Heather's podcast already compared to who. I will put that link directly in the show notes. so You guys can check out our conversation over there. But Heather, let's just start today by you sharing a little bit about how you got into this space. How did you turn your pain into purpose to help other women? Yeah. And well, this is the space I never would have guessed I would be in. (laughs) Not in a million years, right? Because this was my biggest struggle. Mm. I mean, starting in about the third grade, I remember distinctly looking in the mirror in my bedroom and deciding that my legs were too big and starting to compare the size of my legs to the size of everyone else's legs around me. And by middle school, I was dieting with mom. So whatever plan she was following, I kind of just did the the homemade version of it. And by high school, I would say I was such a great type A overachiever 
that I decided I could do better than mom with her diets and I could just go without eating. And so I would try, I would, I would try not to eat all day long. And being a busy high school student, I was able to get away with that a lot of times. And then I would get home. And of course, I would be hungry because that's how our bodies are designed. Mm -hmm. And I would eat everything I could, you know, fit in my mouth. And then I would eat dinner regularly with my family. And so they never really knew that I wasn't eating all day. And honestly, if they did, I may have been congratulated, right? Because the goal was to be thinner. And there was never a point when I was thin enough. And so my, my story continued like into college. I lost my period for nine months and, you know, I wasn't in an eating disorder category that they had at the time because there were only two and I didn't look anorexic and I wasn't able to purge. So this was just stress is what I was told. And college is stressful. So as soon as you learn how to manage your stress better, I'm sure your period will come back. And it did, fortunately. But <laughs> disordered eating, always trying the next thing, whatever, whatever culture was saying to do with food, I was doing with food. And then by the time I got to the end of college, really early into my career out of college, I worked in Washington, D.C. on Capitol Hill, right, right out of school. And I discovered exercise and exercise became this new like magic pill for helping with all my weight loss goals. Like I could eat the things that I liked eating as long as I spent enough time exercising. And so Amy, I like vowed to myself that I was going to become a fitness instructor because I really believed if I could just get that credential, you know, if I could just be that woman in the front of the class with a cute little headset mic, like then I would feel great about my body. And so like, meanwhile, I'm getting my master's, like I have this whole career and no one knows that there's this like secret internal battle going on within me and that my real goal is to just be okay with my body, to just feel good about the way I look. And so I passed my fitness certification, like got a part-time job teaching classes. And I distinctly remember standing in front of my first kickboxing class and being so angry because I knew it didn't fix it. You know, I'm standing there, you know, like instructing, thinking that woman in the front row still has better legs than I do. That woman in the second row has much better abs than I do. Thinking through how I compared to every woman in that space. And then I realized, well, maybe my real problem is I'm not married. Like maybe this issue will be settled for me once I have a man who says I'm good enough. And I'm 30 at this time. Okay. So, you know, and, and I, I was, I was raised in a Christian home in Christian circles. And so marriage was something that I, I wanted. And like, you know, I would have been married at 22 if I had had the opportunity right out of school, but I didn't. And so I felt like, okay, as soon as I find the guy, you know, then this is all going to settle down. But I met my husband, Ani Harmony at age 30. It was right after my 30th birthday. Like literally he came up as a match on my 30th birthday. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and it said Marine fighter pilot. And I was like, okay, click here. Yes. <laughs> so we met and we were, you know, pretty much just together after that. It was, it was kind of instant. E Harmony did a good job at that time. And so <laughs> we were married, I guess maybe within 15 months after meeting. But I remember Amy being, we got married in Washington, DC, and we're at this like old downtown hotel. And I remember sitting up in bed the morning after my wedding. And the room was small enough where the mirror wasn't really that far from the bed. And I remember sitting up and looking in that mirror and thinking, nothing has changed. I still feel the same. It is really amazing that we made it through our honeymoon because I pretty much spent our entire honeymoon 
like questioning my husband, like, do you really love me? Do you really think my body's enough? Like, do you really wish I looked different? You must not be happy with my body. I mean, I was, <laughs> I don't know how he put up with it. And it just, the insecurity around the way I looked. And now I look at those pictures and oh my goodness, like I, I looked like I had an eating disorder by that point because I had done the, you know, I was eating grapefruit and salmon before my wedding for months, right? And teaching two classes a day. I mean, I was, I was a mess inside, but doing it all for, you know, for the wedding, for the pictures. And, and so we got through that. We got back from our honeymoon and I got pregnant pretty much right away. So then I'm a pregnant, like professional dieter who's still struggling with body image issues and still not sure if she's enough for her husband. But, oh boy, the first opportunity really since the third grade to not feel like I had to be on a diet was amazing for me. <laughs> so yeah. I, I really went ahead and was an overachiever with how much weight I gained with my first baby and, and really just kind of stuck with like, there's nothing I can do to fix this. Like I've gotten small. Now I'm bigger. And, and really, I kind of believed that maybe being a mom fixed it. Because I thought I'm going to have something more important to do than think about my body. Like now I have to think about keeping someone else alive. That's an important, noble cause. And that will hopefully distract me enough that I won't obsess over my body anymore. And of course, that didn't work. And then we ended up having four babies, no twins, in just over four years. So oh I was gosh. pregnant or nursing for five years straight almost. Bless and you. it was, it was <laughs> really during, yeah, it was, I don't remember anything. <laughs> Understandably, I mean, you know, he's four years old and he has three siblings. And I mean, I, I feel so bad he's going to need counseling because it's like, dude, you know, like you're four, you're going to have to like buck it up, get your own breakfast, man. Like, <laughs> can't, you, can't you get your shoes on? What's your deal? So, yeah, that was that's not a, not a proud parenting <laughs> moment. But, but really, like the struggle was just so constant. And it wasn't until so my husband was a fighter pilot in the Marine Corps, but he knew that God was calling him into the ministry. And so he was preparing to leave the Marine Corps and was kind of listening to listening to some sermons and teaching. And we didn't have AirPods back then. So it's kind of blaring through our house. And I remember kind of feeling resentful, like, why can't we just listen to music? <laughs> I'm cleaning the kitchen. Music would be better. But I'm listening to this sermon begrudgingly. And the pastor was talking about modern day idolatry and how you know, it's not like the idols of old and it's not like we see in like Buddhist cultures, like that we can make anything an idol. And I really felt like at that moment, God showed me that I had made my body and my body size an idol. And that kind of changed everything for me, Amy. It changed the whole way I looked at these issues I was struggling with. It changed the way I was relating to my body. And and then from there, I kind of felt the prompting to write a book, but again, was like, no way, I'm not writing about body image. I'm going to write about something funny like marriage and couldn't get anything to work on that front. And my husband was like, you really need to tell your body image story. And I was like, but I don't want to. That's embarrassing. But I did. And, you know, it's been a, a journey, a rewarding journey, I should say. And as you probably found out too, when you share the junk, when you share the hard, when you share the secret thoughts that you think, okay, if I say this, people are going to think I am insane. When you share those things, that's when people connect to you and are like, oh my, like 
I thought I was the only person who ever thought that. I was the only person who ever did that. And reading that you do that, reading that you think that, that has helped me so much. And so that has made my journey towards being more vulnerable and authentic and open. And through this whole struggle, much more rewarding because, you know, it's, it's fun to hear women get set free from the shame surrounding these issues. I relate to so much of the things that you said. I was a fitness instructor as well, taught yoga, taught strength, taught step in college. Okay. And I actually left teaching because I was so self-conscious standing in front of a group. I couldn't do it anymore. And I'm pretty sure I just said I needed more time and like didn't have time to do it anymore. But the anxiety that it was causing standing in front of a class was not worth not worth it to me anymore. I just couldn't do it. So I can relate to to that. I have a Bachelor of Science in Health Promotion. Okay. So I went to college. I'd had body image my entire life since fourth grade. Went to college. That's my degree. And I'm thinking, just like you, this is going to fix it. Like I'm going to be so fit and that's going to fix everything. Mm-hmm. And I too, just like you, have had a very similar path of every time thinking like if I'm smaller or fitter or whatever, then everything is going to be better. And that hasn't been the case for me either. That is not a simple thought. That is a complex thought because sometimes you get smaller because of a health issue that needs to be addressed. But what we're talking about today is this idea that just being smaller fixes all your problems. So we're not addressing health concerns today. That's We're taking that completely off the table. And I want to say that right out of the gate. But if you are like trying to make your body smaller to be good enough for your spouse, to be good enough for your family, to feel good enough in general, to get a promotion at work, to, to do X, Y, Z, that's where we got to check our hearts, I think. Yeah. And that had to have taken a first step for you. And what was that first step? What did that look like for you, Heather, when you decided, okay, like now I'm, I'm kind of seeing the writing on the wall here. I yeah. see that this is about more than I thought it was. Yeah. Then what? I think that was the first moment that I ever realized that my body image issues weren't about my body, right? I, I probably wouldn't have told you I had body image issues. I had body issues. If I could just meet my goals. And again, like Amy, I, it's embarrassing to say because I was thin and fit. Yeah. But it was not good enough. It was, oh, I was never the same. good enough. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I look at those pictures and I'm like, what was that girl complaining about? Yeah. But it was never enough. So, so separating my body image from my body and realizing, and I know you talk about root cause a lot on this show, recognizing the root cause of my body image issues was not my body. Although everyone around me in culture was kind of, you know, I mean, goodness gracious, commercials, right? Like you fix your body and you're going to feel awesome. You know, that's the marketing messages, but it's not reality because I had worn the sizes like, like you, I had met the goal and the goal was never enough. And so first step was really just like stopping me like, wait a second, this is about something different than my body. The only way I've been trying to solve this is through fixing my body. Now, how does that make sense? (laughs) If it's not about my body, then fixing my body is not going to fix this. 
what is this really about? And digging into that more and that, oh goodness, like you said on my show, Amy, it's a whole lot easier just to go on a diet (laughs) than to dig into that. It is because it brings up so much. It brings up all this stuff that we we are shoving down by telling ourselves that the way that we feel about ourselves is strictly about the outer appearance. I mean, it's about it's about trauma that we've buried. It's about things that we've been through. It's about things that have been said to us that then we have taken on mm-hmm. as true that likely most of the time isn't, but it's coming from a hurt person who's trying to hurt others. And we've shoved all of this in our body and then we're processing it and we're like, okay, well, I feel like crap. And so the only way to feel better is to be smaller because that's the message that we're sent is that being smaller always means better. That really does fix everything. Like you can have the marriage that you want. You'll make the money that you want. You know, you'll have the friends. You'll be asked to go on that girls night or that vacation with your friends, you know, if you're smaller and I don't know about you, Heather, but there are times I still get in that trap that I have to literally say to myself, shut up. Like, don't. Like, that is not true. And you kind of got to like slap yourself out of it, like for lack of a better term. You know that that's not true. You know that that's not the real reason why. But when you have been trained like that for so long, since an adolescent, and that is your inner voice, that work to untrain that it's kind of like you just have to like kind of tap at the stone mm-hmm. and you just have to keep tapping at the stone. And it's just, yeah. it's always a work in progress. And right. so it's not something that I think we can ever do overnight. I think right. the expectation is that it can be done very quickly, but I think the expectation needs to turn into having a lot of patience and grace. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think about that, like it's our ideal right? It's this elusive ideal that we hold with us. And I think the older we get, the more we add to it, right? Like we maybe in adolescence, it's the ideal is just looking a certain way, but then it's having a certain kind of marriage or having a certain kind of lifestyle or a certain kind of home or certain, you know, well-behaved children or children who look a certain way, right? And so we just keep glomming on to this ideal. And maybe we live our lives chasing this ideal versus actually living our lives. Like it's it's the if then thinking, right? Like as soon as this is in place and this is in place. And you know, I just <laughs> I think about it like a home project, right? Like I don't know if you've ever just decided to paint your bathroom. Oh my gosh. Heather, <laughs> it is so funny that you just said that because I just did that in the last two days. <laughs> That's hilarious. I, I literally just painted my bathroom. <laughs> okay. So here's here's what's gonna happen to you then. <laughs> Because here's well, here's what happened to me. It's like, oh, I'll just paint the bathroom. It's just a little powder room. But then it's like, oh, the baseboards look horrible now because they're yellow instead of white. So now I have to paint the baseboards. But you paint those baseboards and they're like, oh shoot, now the door looks yellow. Uh-huh. So you paint the door and then you gotta paint the other side of the door. And when you paint the other side of the door, it's like, oh, now there's baseboards touching it uh-huh. too. And before you know it, you have to paint your whole house just because you painted the bathroom. <laughs> and it's just like that with our bodies, yeah. right? It's like, oh, I can just do this. Oh, wait. No, I'm not going to do that. It just never ends. If that is what we are putting our trust in, our, our hope in, you know, I hate to use overly Christianized language around this, but for me, it was salvation. Like, I couldn't have told you that. At the time, because like I said, I was raised in a Christian home, so I would have told you I was a Christian. 
But for me, I thought as soon as I got all the pieces right with my body, my hair was right, my size was right, my skin was right. As soon as all those pieces were in place, then I would feel this rest and this joy and this peace and this like just effervescent happiness would just flood me. And I would just float on air as I walked into rooms and it was just going to be this magical life. And it just never happened. And realizing now that that ideal that I was chasing for me was an idol I was never going to achieve. <laughs> and it was, it was going to keep me chasing for life because that's what it does. And it is what it does. And so breaking free from that and recognizing, no, oh, this is, this is not, it's never worked for me before. Why do I think this is going to work now? Right. That's what I have to do when I have those temptation moments of like, yeah. oh, well, maybe I should just try that diet that was on that commercial. You know, maybe mm-hmm. it would work for me. <laughs> you know, I haven't tried that one yet. Yeah. And talking myself down with, no, wait, I've, I've been around this, <laughs> this desert before. It doesn't work. Yeah. It really is the lens at which we are coming at things. I truly believe it. And we come from this lens of self-hatred. Mm. And I don't know. I think so many of us started that at such a young age, which makes me incredibly sad, especially being a mom. Myself now, I look at my kids and I want to protect them so much from ever feeling the way about their body that I felt about mine because it is it is a heartbreaking journey to be on. Yeah. But I, I also want to give hope that you can find freedom. It might not look like freedom 100% of the time. It doesn't mean that you'll never have bad thoughts. It never. It doesn't mean that you'll never struggle. But I don't believe that you have to be overly consumed with your body and its size and its shape and what you're doing to change it for the rest of your lives. I can remember just feeling... So I went to eating disorder therapy back in 2008. And they put me on a host of prescriptions that... I don't know. I have a lot of mixed feelings about that time in my life. But one thing I will say that it did was getting on those prescriptions at that time, it like shut down my thoughts about my body. And I was shocked how much I had thought about it before. I just, I was like, whoa. Yeah. This consumed my thoughts. Mm -hmm. Like I just couldn't even believe how much it had consumed my life for, for most of my life. Yeah. And so I think that that's something just like kind of a gut check that you can do and ask yourself, how often am I thinking about my body? When I do think about my body, what's coming up? Like, what are the words that I'm using? Is it compassion? Is it kindness? Or is it always putting yourself down? Right. What's been your experience with that inner self-talk? Because it is like you've said it a couple of times, like it's ugly, but I think it's important to say it. Because just like you, I didn't realize that other women were struggling. I Mm -hmm. thought I was crazy. Mm -hmm. Like, you are nuts. Mm -hmm. No one else is nearly this obsessed with their body as you are. Because I don't hear anybody else talking about it. And this was, you know, in the 2000s. I feel kind of old saying that, but whatever. (laughs) It was in the 2000s. So I don't know. how How did you navigate that? How does that come up for you? Yeah. So, I mean, I think at first, well, now recognizing how much more brain space I have. <laughs> like, like that's kind of an eerie thing. At first, it's a little uncomfortable. Like, ooh, like, well, then what do I think about? 
I'm like, huh, what do I do? Like I spend most of like the morning is spent thinking about lunch and how I should exercise. Oh like, what do you do if that's not how to spend your morning thinking about? That was a little awkward. But you know, now as I coach women, one of the things I have them do right away is write down those lies that they hear. We don't identify them as lies. I mean, that kind of takes us another step in our process. But what are you telling yourself? What are you hearing? You look in the mirror or you step on the scale or like, what are those voices, things that you're hearing and really dwelling on? And I have them write them out because for most, they've been there since elementary school, middle school, right? So they don't even hear or know that they're lies. They've just accepted them as the truth. And then I kind of take it to, so Jenny Schaefer, Sheffy, oh, yeah. The eating disorder book, Ed. Yes. Uh, Life yes. without Ed. So I do this exercise where I have chosen this picture of Ed. And he is, you know, he's a guy you wouldn't want to meet in a back alley. He's got <laughs> his wife beater shirt on and he's just not, not an attractive man. Let's just put it like that. He's kind of scary and shady looking. And I send him a picture of our Ed. And it's like, picture Ed telling you these things, right? Like you would take advice from this Ed guy. Like you wouldn't let him in your home. You wouldn't want to like <laughs> meet him on the street somewhere. And yet you let Ed go with you everywhere. And you let Ed's opinion of you rule the day or the event or, or your marriage, right? Like, like it doesn't get a say. So picture this guy as Ed and tell him to shut up. <laughs> yeah. And so that, that's kind of one of the ways we work through minimizing, you know, the, the noise and well, first hearing it and then and then responding to it. I don't know about you, but meal planning doesn't always come easy to me. And it's one of the main things that can contribute to stress reduction around meals throughout the week. Doing it on your own can feel overwhelming. I totally get it. That's where the Peas and Hoppy Meal Planning membership comes in. With over 800 dietitian approved recipes that can be customized to your dietary needs, this is the solution we've been waiting for. Every week, you'll get a pre-planned seasonal menu with 10 fresh meal ideas. It also creates your grocery list, which is a huge time saver. Not only are you supported with your meals, but also with the Peas and Hoppiness community that was founded by registered dietitian Ann Kent, who is an amazing resource. I am so excited to offer you a two-week free trial to join this amazing community and meal plan service. All you need to do is click the link in the show notes, and I promise that you won't regret simplifying your weekly meals. I think that's such an important tip because the first step has to be recognizing the story that you're telling yourself. Yep. And it has to be getting really honest with yourself. Like, what is that story? It might not be that everything that you're doing is quote unquote detrimental to your body image. I mean, you might actually like really truly enjoy working out five to six times a week and that works for you. And that's amazing. I'm just going to use some like other concrete examples. You might know that like gluten makes your body not feel good. And so you can't do that because you're like crumbled up in a corner with stomach pain. You might know that like coffee makes you jittery and whatever, you know, or like chocolate isn't good for your body for XYZ reason, whatever. I think that we have to come at this there are things that we do to love and nourish and care for our bodies that come from a place of love. And instead, we've let this guy, Ed, quote unquote, eating disorder, 
and I, I'm not, we are definitely not labeling everybody who's listening to this with an eating disorder. I want to make sure we say that. But a lot of times we let that inner ugly voice tell us the negativity about what we're doing. And so I love that visual of saying, that's not true. Stop. Because I think that once you kind of work through this, I think coming out on the other side of it, I know what's been hard for me on the other side of it is, oh gosh, well, if I'm doing that, like, am I dieting again? And it's that navigation of when am I ever comfortable? Like, when can I ever be at ease? Like, when can I know that I'm truly making decisions for the best of my body? How am I truly loving my body well? And that brings this up when Heather and I initially talked. She's like, I don't really like the phrase love your body well. And I'm like, ooh, let's talk about that. I'm glad that you brought that up. Because coming from this lens, it is truly like, how can I take care of my body in the best way possible? How can I intermingle wellness into my body and to my life while still having grace and purpose and other things that are not surrounding my body? How can I take care of myself so I can be here for my kids? But love your body well to some people is just this idea of body positivity and like we're going to excuse everything. So Heather, I'd love for you to kind of talk about that a little bit too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I'll tie this in. But I mean, as I hear you describing the process, I think the challenge for most of us is it's messy. Mm -hmm. Freedom is messy, right? And diets promise us a freedom that's not messy. They promise us a before and an after picture that is clean and pure and bliss for the rest of your life, right? But real life is messy. And so real interactions with food and exercise are going to be messy from day to day. And so when I heard Love Your Body initially, like way back 10 years ago when I wrote my first book, really the context in which I heard it being used was, like you said, body positivity. And it was the era of you take a picture of your stretch marks and you put them on Instagram. Yeah, It's the woman who, quote unquote, doesn't have the bikini body who is wearing the bikini on the street and, you know, having people like applaud her for her bravery, like those kind of things. And to me, someone who at the time was searching desperately for answers to her own body image issues, for me, that wasn't going to cut it. Mm -hmm. I knew I just couldn't flip a switch and be like, I love my body now. Okay. I hated my body once, but now I love it and I'm going to just take pride in it. And here's a picture of my cellulite. Enjoy. Like that's (laughs) what's never going to be me. And so it didn't work for me from that perspective. And then also it felt like it felt like from a from a Christian perspective, it felt like it was just pride. And, you know, and the Bible talks about pride as not being the answer to anything. Like God doesn't especially <laughs> favor the proud. Let's just put it that way. And so to me, it just felt yicky. It felt like instead of actually dealing with our issues and getting messy, we were just going to say, okay, I'm not going to hate my body anymore. I'm going to love what I got and I'm going to give the middle finger to anyone who tries to challenge me on that. For me, that was the turnoff with love your body language. But I think as I've gotten to know you, I mean, you're (laughs) using love as a verb, I think is the way you put it on my show, where it's really about caring for yourself and and recognizing that caring and nurturing your body is messy. There's no way to do it perfectly. I can't just watch an Instagram influencer and be like, I'm going to do it exactly like her. And then I'm going to look like her. And that's what we're sold over and over again, but it just doesn't work. 
And we blame ourselves when it doesn't work. And the reality is, no, we just were bio-individual people. We were not meant to all be able to do the same things and no. get the same results. No. And so why am I going crazy hating what I have and trying to feed it into submission so I can look like her? That's maybe not what was designed for me. And it's not the easy button. Right. Right. Because when it is bio-individual, it takes a lot of inner work. And in a lot of, I think, digging deep to ask yourself those questions, like you said, why do I feel this way? What is the story I'm telling myself? Get those out of your mind and get them on paper so you can visually look at them. And then I want you to pretend like you're saying them to your best friend. Would you ever Mm -hmm. do that? Would you ever say that to another woman? Likely not. Right. Likely not. And so why are we telling ourselves the same thing? Right. And what I, so I have a a new book out, the 40 day body image workbook. And one of the exercises on one of the days in there is really kind of tracking back to figure out, okay, where did these voices come from? Mm. Because like for me, there were some specific things like a parent had said or another relative had said that, you know, were very obscure. And I find this with clients I work with all the time. It's like one person made one statement on one day of seventh grade. And I'm working with clients who are in their 50s and 60s, and they're like, I can tell you what that statement was from 50 years ago, and it still replays in my head. And so we kind of work through digging that out, (laughs) identifying it. And then, you know, at some point, being able to be like, it is kind of silly that I'm letting that boy from seven (laughs) still have a voice (laughs) in my life right now, and I haven't seen him in 60 years. (laughs) So I had the same experience. And I think the thing is, is, Some of those things are said to us at such an impactful age. It's at an impressionable age that you're like, oh, I guess that is why, or I guess that is who I am. And so I think as you get older, you just are a little bit more like, you know who you are a little bit. If someone wants to challenge me in my 40s now, I'm kind of like, yeah, that's not me, Mm -hmm. you know? But when somebody's saying that to you in middle school or I had an unfortunate relationship in college that he knocked me down like repeatedly, you know, never said really nice things to me and put a lot of self doubt. And he would like tell me things too that like, oh, well, so and so said this. And I'm like, well, that's really not helpful. Like, I don't really care. She thinks about the size of my butt, you know, like, why are you mm-hmm. telling me this? But same thing that has never left my brain, you know, mm-hmm. and you kind of have to quiet that. Like, Mm-hmm. That opinion, it's that that Rachel Hollis quote. She's the one I remember. It might not be her quote, but someone else's opinion of you is none of your business. Mm-hmm. And I think that we have to lean in to who we were actually created to be by right. God. And that is not like the most fit person on the block. Mm-hmm. It is not the most fit mom. It is not the mom mm-hmm. who has it all together all the time. It is not the friend who does only home-cooked meals. Mm-hmm. Like, who? what are you really here for? Yeah, absolutely. It's a, you're here for more than just your body. Now, that doesn't mean I don't want you to not take care of it. But it is this, I think we live in this all or nothing culture that like we can't live in that messy that you keep saying. Mm -hmm. But can I just take a moment and invite you into the messy and into the gray and say it doesn't need to look perfect. You don't have to be perfect on a daily basis. You're going to fall down. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to think that this is the way I need to go. And then you might backtrack and be like, nope, detour, never mind. I need to do something different. That actually doesn't work. I spent the literal last four years doing that and I just had another shift. 
And it is, I am on that like rocky gravel road right now that I'm like, what's going on? Is everything going to be fine? And I just have to keep trusting that this path was designed for me on purpose with a purpose. And I just want to encourage anybody who is feeling that today. You're listening to this episode on purpose. This isn't an accident. Like what you're experiencing in your life right now, it's not an accident. The way that you felt about your body, you don't have to stay there. You can overcome it. I promise that you can. I promise it's not going to be easy. Sorry. But that's the truth. And I think when we can start really truly sharing the truth instead of just these rose-colored glasses idea that everything is perfect all the time or it's going to be fixed once I get to XYZ size, let's start having real honest, raw conversations so we can change how women think about themselves and we can change future generations. Right. Well, and recognizing you said it already, but applying it to your body, like Mm -hmm. your body was made on purpose for a purpose. Yeah. And this is going to sound super frivolous, but when I recognize, I'm only 5'5", Amy. I'm 5'4". When I finally realized that God's purpose for my life was not modeling, and and also like this happened in my 40s. So I'm five foot five and like 45 years old. <laughs> but it's like when I could finally like swallow that, it's like, oh then why spending so much of my life trying to get a model like body if that is not something I'm ever going to do? <laughs> right. Yeah. But yet I have these short stubby, fast, strong fingers, and I can type lightning. Like I am the fastest typist you will ever meet. Like I'll take you on. (laughs) And they write books. So it's like, oh, okay. God gave me exactly what I needed to do what he wanted me to do. And so just as we look at our bodies and think instead of being frustrated with like, oh, I wish I was like this. I wish I was like this. It's like, well, wait, how did, was my body made? Like, what am I supposed to do with this body? And not waiting until my body is different to do that thing either. Right. Right. Because Mm. what I found is purpose cures so much. Like, if you are a person on a mission, like, this is what I'm here to do. This is, you know, what I'm doing. If you are thriving in something, you don't really have as much time to obsess over your Mm -hmm. body. You start to feel alive because of what you are doing and that minimizes the pressure around, oh, I need to look different so that, you know, I can I can do something. No, you can do something right now that will make you feel alive and really understand why you have a body. <laughs> right? mm-hmm. It's not just to look good in pictures or in a bathing suit right now. No. Like, can you imagine a graduation ceremony, Amy, where like for the women, it was like, when Jen graduates, she hopes to be able to wear a size four. And, you know, Molly hopes in college to be able to get that six pack abs. She's always like, no, like these are not goals. Mm-hmm. And yet they're goals. Yeah. That's the voice we have to wrestle with. And, you know, the reality we need to face like, no, I've got a purpose and it's more than just changing my body. Yeah. And I want to tell anybody who's listening to that, that if you're having those thoughts, it's not your fault. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. The pressure is everywhere. I mean, there's only one narrative that we hear. Mm. (laughs) It's that. It is. It is. And it's really sad. I feel like there are people like us who are out there trying to spread a little bit more of the truth of of the messy middle of the gray area or trying to share that more. I, I hope that that voice continues to get louder and that women can 
have a little bit more grace and patience with themselves because something I also did not recognize, which looking back now feels kind of weird to even admit out loud. But no one had said to me ever, your body is supposed to change. You're a woman. Yes. It's going to change and expect change. Right. You're going to go through puberty. You're going to have a menstrual cycle. You're going to get boobs. You're going to get hips. When all that started happening for me, that's when my body image really kind of shifted. It was in fourth grade. Same for you around the same time. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm getting bigger. I must be getting worse. Right. And it happened again with pregnancy and, you know, in my teenage years and after pregnancy. And now I'm done having kids. And now uh, there's a whole host of other things that's happening to my body that I have no control over right now. It feels like. And so it's how can I work on the way I look and feel now and quote unquote fix that without it being a shameful process? How can I take care of my body so I can be here for my kids? So I can be the mom that I want to be. So I am not living in constant pain, things like that. Yeah. Well, and what I love to talk about is this reality that, you know, although you weren't informed about puberty, right? No one would say puberty bad, stop puberty, like make sure you don't let your body change during puberty, right? Like, Like that's not a cultural narrative. No. And yet on the other side, when we hit perimenopause, all the messages we hear are don't let your body change. Yeah. Oh, don't succumb to peri- don't succumb to menopause. Like, you know, oh bad. If your body's changing bad, if your if your weight is redistributing, oh bad, you're gonna die faster because that, you know, you're not taking care of your body. And it's like, but wait a second. If all those hormones cause chaotic change at age 12, why wouldn't the absence of all those hormones cause more chaotic change yeah. in our 40s and 50s? So just being real and we don't we don't hear enough those messages Mm-mm. of reality, right? right. So yeah, I, I love that. It's an emotional roller coaster being a woman. <laughs> yeah. So I think when we can honestly just extend a hand and and say to somebody like, hop on, we're gonna enjoy the ride together. Right. I think it's surrounding yourself with the right kinds of people who can remind you that you are more than just what you look like at any given time, good or bad. Yeah. Good or bad. Yeah. Because the the messages when when you lose the weight can be just as detrimental mm-hmm. as the messages Sorry. is when you're the heaviest. So I just want to say that we just need to be very careful how mm-hmm. we are speaking to and about others' bodies, but also our own. Mm-hmm. Because happiness is an inside job. Mm-hmm. It truly mm-hmm. is. And we have to do the work because really, there's this really good book. It's actually a children's book. You've probably read it by Max Lucado. It's called You Are Special. And it talks about this person who gets these stickers. And it's the ideas and opinions. I feel like I'm going to get like teary. It's the ideas and opinions that people have shared with you over your lifetime. And they have put them on you and those stick. And we take all that on. And you know, if you're in your 40s like us, then there's a lot of things that people have said over our lives that have stuck. And today, I think that Heather and I want to invite you to do what this kid in this book had happen. And that is by having, it, they call it, his, it was his maker. It's basically like they're talking about God and your relationship with God. But like getting so in tuned with who you are in God's image that those things can't stick anymore. And that they slowly begin to like fall away 
and you begin to see who you truly are, what you were created for, and that it is so much bigger and better than honestly the opinions that others have of you or even your opinion of yourself. Right. That change can happen as a kid, as a teen. It can happen if you're 40, 50, 60 listening to this. I don't think that there is any point in your life that you've gone too far, that you've like, you've been this way for so long that then like there's no way back home. I always believe that there is a way back home when you can find peace within yourself because you are worthy of the peace and you deserve the peace. We all do. We do not have to live our lives in shame and in shackles of who we think that we should be to make everybody else feel comfortable. Amen. And I think the first lie that we all hear is you can't change. Mm -hmm. That works for them, but that won't work for you. I mean, every single coaching client I've had, like literally every single one, I ask, what's your biggest fear coming in? And they're like, that won't work for me. I know, like I'm pretty pretty far gone. I don't think this will work for me. And so that's the number one lie. So I'm so glad you called that out. Yeah. Yeah. There is freedom for everyone. There truly is. I just want to say like, if you're at a point that like you're, Like, okay, I think I do need help with body image. Like, I think I'm there because you can't do it on your own. Mm -hmm. That is an act of bravery in and of Mm -hmm. itself to say, I need a little bit of help. Mm -hmm. You could start with Heather's book that she shared, the 40-Day Body Image Workbook. She also works with clients, like she said, and I'll let her share a little bit more about that. But you can find a therapist in your area. You can download a podcast and just start there. Mm -hmm. There's so many resources to you available. So many more than I think were available to me in 2008. I I don't even know how I found the resources that I had because people just did not talk about this. It just was not talked about. And today it is. A lot of us have gotten vulnerable with our journeys because we don't want other people to feel the same way. And so if that is you today, first and foremost, I want you just to take your hand and I want you to place it over your heart for a minute. And I want you to say to yourself, I am worthy of loving my body well. And I am worthy of finding peace within myself because you are. And I want you to believe that first and foremost. And then I want you to think about that next step and what you need. Do you need help? Do you need somebody who can come alongside you and encourage you? And Heather is one of those people who can do that. So Heather, would you please tell everybody how they can connect with you and work with you? Yeah, you can reach me at improvebodyimage.com or on socials. I'm at compared to who, but I, I do offer, I have an online course and then I offer either group coaching or individual coaching with that. And, you know, if that's not where you're at right now, I, I think the one thing like for me, I know I would have never gotten body image help, even though I desperately needed it. Mm-hmm. I'm type A. I would have thought, well, I can do this myself. Like, surely this is something I can fix myself. And I ended up in counseling by accident. I was part of a a program we were (laughs) in for my husband and it changed my life. And now I go to counseling regularly because I needed it more than I had any idea. And I had an LPC on my show recently and he said, shame is healed in community. And I've seen that over and over again in the groups I've run for the last seven years. We really do heal in a different way when we heal with others. So whether it's one-on-one or in a group, I mean, it's, it's important. It's scary and feels so risky, but oh, wow, it's effective. It is. I hope this episode has empowered you. I think it probably made you feel a couple things. It made me feel a couple things. I got a little emotional today just thinking about it. And I just, I'm thinking of you. If you've listened to this episode and, and you're feeling things right now, I just want you to know, like I'm holding you 
close to my heart right now because I've been in those shoes. Some days I'm still in those shoes and never claim to have perfection. This is not a podcast about perfection in regards to wellness and body image and all that, but it is more just inviting everyone into this process of learning who we are and knowing who we were created to be and learning that each day is a new opportunity to lean into that more. So thanks for listening today. And thank you, Heather, for coming on and being so brave and sharing your story. Oh, thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Love Your Body Well podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, I would appreciate it if you would leave a rating and review and let me know what resonated with you the most. This helps more people connect to the show and allows me to continue encouraging women just like you. I love when you share episodes that impacted you on social media or with your friends and family. It truly helps spread the word of compassion and kindness that all women need more of. I invite you to continue the conversation with me on my blog, loveyourbodywell.net, or on Instagram at loveyourbodywell. Thank you for being here today. I know you have a lot of podcasts to choose from, and I'm honored that you listen to mine. This podcast is for informational purposes only and not intended to provide a diagnosis or replace medical care.